Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network And when we talk about the impacts They just gloss it over Oh well, you, you know, we're going to monitor all the impacts All monitor means is watch and report. It doesn't mean they can fix it after they've messed it up. You know, our role is, is to prevent the, the, the outright manipulation of their, of their intent mm. to undermine everybody. So we stand that line. I mean, the, the real story is that They've gotten away with an awful lot here, and they'll only tell one side of the story when they go to Australia. Welcome to Cameco's Saskatchewan Secrets Part 2 of 2. We're hearing about this huge uranium mining company's operations from behind the glossy brochures and sports team sponsorships, listening instead to the people on the ground who've seen the communities ripped apart. They have a message to Australia as Cameco pushes ahead with plans to open Western Australia's first uranium mines at Kintyre and Yiliri. We're talking with Candace Paul, Marius Paul and Jim Harding, who my co-producer Crunch, our anti-nuclear activist buddies and I, visited in Saskatchewan in May this year. Jim is a retired professor, author of Canada's Deadly Secret and lives in Fort Capel. Candace and Marius live at the English River First Nation Reserve, about 800 kilometres further north. Part one introduced us to Cameco, its tax dodging and secrecy, and uranium mining's impact on Indigenous communities. In part two, we'll look further into the company's impact on health and the environment, what it's like being on the front line, how the company tries to buy a social licence, and what advice our guests offer to us in Australia. Before we start, I'll just give a mild language warning for some of the snippets in this show. Let's continue the conversation now with Candace Paul, followed by Marius Paul. So the far north of Saskatchewan has been impacted longer, and I expect that we will still be starting to see some more and more intergenerational impacts because of that. So, you know, they're, they're starting to have birth defects. The cancer rates are high up there, too. These uh, companies know that knew that the people weren't well educated, and they really took advantage of that. And they they really talk condescendingly to the people, like we hire the experts. You guys don't know what we know, and they're very empirical that way. They you know when they do their environmental impact statements, they do them themselves. And basically the province rubber stamps it and then it goes to public review. And they put out a little notice in some little paper, which most places don't even have or access to, and they say there's a public review. And what they expect from a public review is basically a very strong analysis on based on technical. Well, these people don't have that ability they don't have the comprehension of the doublespeak that's written into those things. I've read them. Essentially, on the new mines that they want to promote, the, uh, the Cameco and Arriva Millennium Mine Project, 
Essentially what it says in the environmental impact statement is if we're not living on that land, we have no access to it after they build, start the project. Not that we'd want access after it's contaminated, but when they decommission it, they have to decommission it to the laws of that day. Well, what we're seeing in Canada is an erosion of all of the environmental laws. So God only knows in 30 years whether there's going to be any need to clean up. We can't trust that there will be. So they're, at best, their decommissioning aspect is experimental. They, they admit it's experimental, but they're doing the best they can. Well, if you don't know that it can't be done well and done properly to protect the future generations, you shouldn't be doing it at all in the first place. People had that, had that uh, uh, understanding of, of uranium. Mm. Uh, the, the understanding of it was it was an entity. It, it was a force to be reckoned with and not to mess around with. So mm. they knew that from way back. And our seers told us that in the future things will come out from under, underground and they mm. will be very terrible. Terrible. Whatever you know, and, and I think now we're starting to get the idea of what that description was about. Mm. You know, atomic bombs, radiation poisoning, uh, everything else that's associated with its misuse. Mm. I don't know what kind of good use it would have at this point. I, don't, I can't. After looking through all the information on the science. It's hard to be able to say, yeah, nuclear is cool, man, nuclear is good, uh, let's, let's go uh, do some more of it and all that. Because it's just, after you see people that never used to die of cancer get hit, and it takes time to start to, to, relate, to relate cause to effect and vice versa. Mm -hmm. We... We try to make ourselves <clears throat> wide open to to that potential realization that holy fuck, these guys are killing people with this uh, with this activity. So that is part of the 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 danger that our our seers had had told us about mm. way back and. Mm. Uh, when we asked, uh, how do you handle that? How, how do we handle that? Um, the advice we got was, keep your language, because uh, your language will be the one to command it, to return back to where it, it came from. to prevent the, the, the outright manipulation of their, of their intent mm. to undermine everybody. Mm. 
until we stand that line. I don't want to take no shit from no, from no businessman, mm. and no businessman's lawman either. Mm. So you know that we could be terminated anytime. That's another danger that we also face. That mm. uh, could be done in the way it has been applied to a lot of my friends. Mm. You know, some of them are doing heavy duty time. Some have been killed. So it's not like a, a real, <clears throat> it, it's, it's a very murky waters. Mm -hmm. So in order to function the best way possible for your one's own survival, you, mm -hmm. you have to live clean, be clean, be clear, be disciplined, and highly motivated. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it difficult to hold that line? to keep opposing mm. Hanako when so many... No, I don't think it's, it's difficult. I think the, uh, the challenge in that role is, uh, is how, much, how much you're willing to believe that you're actually making, a, making that difference. So that is within each and every foot soldier or foot uh, front line. So for whatever reason, I think the okay, the common the common thread is consciousness about the, about how much of an impression you are willing to adapt to your own means that will determine your chances of being able to be effective against such a massive organization, global organization that's, that's fucking chemical. That was Marius Paul talking about the danger his people face from uranium mining and radioactive contamination and how difficult it is being on the front line of a small section of the northern Saskatchewan communities who are standing up against Cameco. Before that, Candace Paul discussed the condescending way in which Cameco deals with the communities they're operating in and the eroding environmental laws that support their toxic trade. Now, Jim Harding will start off the conversation on the insidious ways that the company plants itself in civil life and buys social licence. Well, and in the urban areas, of course, they promote themselves like crazy through small corporate donations to health care, to student grants. They've done a tremendous amount to raise their profile that they're doing scholarships for Indigenous students. They put money in music festivals, all of which is a write-off, and they don't pay their taxes. So there you go. I mean, yeah. they, they, they've been able to marshal a public relations campaign that I would say is starting to um, not work. Mm. But they put masses. It's been more important for them to promote their image in urban areas which are out of touch with the North, to be quite honest, mm. than pay their taxes. Yeah. Do you think people in the North have still got some trust or some belief it, it's in... It's waning. Okay. It's waning. This generation is mobile enough, access to independent information, um, not as uh, susceptible to the, 
the local, what really are bribes. And we saw that with the nuclear waste campaign. Uh, Cameco and the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, which is industry, again, wanting to find a place for nuclear waste, they pumped hundreds and hundreds of thousands into First Nations and Métis organizations and communities without any transparency on how it was being spent. This new generation in the North exposed it, researched it, made it public, challenged it so that ultimately that, that what they weren't able to get away with what they had been doing for you know for decades. So I think there's a I think this generation is, is sort of cracking the myth. And uh, you'd, you'll see that in that there's a strong network across northern Saskatchewan of Indigenous activists who, who know this thing in, intimately, from mining to the weapons connection to the nuclear waste uh, industry. And that's new. That's happened this, this time round. That didn't happen in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. It started in the 90s. And you can see second-generation families, you know, it's pretty interesting how this awareness accumulates. The industry hit broadside at northern Saskatchewan. The weapons, the mines for weapons were all done in secrecy. So, for example, I grew up thinking the premier was a supporter of nuclear disarmament and didn't know that secretly uranium was going out of northern Saskatchewan right up until the 60s for weapons. I only learned that in the 70s. It was totally secret under the War Measures Act. So we had to, we had to discover that weapons connection about our own history. Then the onslaught came for the so-called nuclear renaissance after the, you know, the oil price crisis in the 70s. And the bribes were very effective in terms of this will be the economic development strategy for the North. Well, we've gone full circle, and it hasn't happened, and this next generation is looking to a different... They're, they're looking to sustainability, they're not looking to creating toxic waste, so... We were not, we were trying to make it never end. We've seen um, the magazine uh, for, you know, for Northern Saskatchewan, and it's full of... Um, articles, I guess, sponsored articles about how great Cameco is. What are some of the other ways that um, the mining companies up here win social license? They are involved in every aspect of our community lives. They sponsor graduations from high school. They take kids on school trips up to the mines without wearing any protective gear. And they, uh, so they don't, you know, they're standing over radioactive tailings. Mm. And they're not wearing any protective gear. They do things like take the kids of family members up to work with dad for a day in the mine. Mm. This is how they promote it. They come in and do aptitude tests on our students in schools. They give the schools money. They sponsor school teams. They come down and do advertising. They take kids out, go for a fun day on the ice, wear a chemical hockey shirt, and play hockey on the ice, and we'll film you hmm. without parent uh, permission. Hmm. It's blatant. Yeah. 
They do things like give Ronald McDonald House a million dollars. Ronald McDonald House is a place for families who have sick children in the hospital. And this is what the CEO said. He said, it's a good fit for us because most of the people that are using Ronald McDonald House are from the north, which is our area of operations. Oh, my gosh. That's the closest you're going to get to an admittance that they're part of the problem. So, they're, you know, in Saskatoon, they sponsored concerts for fundraising for Six Children's Hospital. They um, go and build decks for cancer patients on their home. They give them the dream of a lifetime. One lady with breast cancer will get the dream of a lifetime and be advertised at the local football game. You know, it's just really sickening the way that they manipulate illness to make themselves look good when they're probably the cause of the illness in the first place. So we're finding that we're going to have to do our own monitoring. So we've gone out and bought Geiger counters ourselves. We're going to have to do our own health study. The other thing they've done is they have a partnership with the Northern Health Health Regions. And they pay for whatever studies the health region wants done. Mm -hmm. But the health region doesn't want a full study. They didn't ever do a baseline study on our health. So... It's up to us to prove that we're getting sicker more often, with worse diseases more often. And of course, we have no money for that. Health studies cost millions of dollars. Mm. So, but we're going to do everything we can because we can't afford to just keep, people are dying younger and younger. Mm. The first mines that opened in Canada, the mines that that was up in Northwest Territories where they got the, the uranium for the atomic bombs that they dropped on Japan. It was Dene people up there that they used for mining it. All of those miners got sick. They used to carry the bags of ore on their backs and then they'd put them on a barge and then have to go ride the barge downriver to the loading dock where it was taken elsewhere. They'd sleep right on top of those bags of uranium. All those, all that generation of men in that community died. So there was really nobody left to teach the sons, you know, the old way of living and of being sustainable lifestyle. So it really had a horrible impact. But they knew that was going to happen. And it was up to those people to prove it that that was the reason those men died. Like, why is it up to the people that have been used and abused to prove? In the United States, the uranium mining companies have to pay compensation for up to 40 different diseases that have been proven to be caused by exposure to radiation. So the miners and the families of the miners get compensation. There's no compensation in Canada. 
none whatsoever. Protect our land! Protect our land! Protect our water! Protect our animals! Protect our animals! Our plants! Our plants! Most of all, protect us! Protect us! This is the Radioactive Show, produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast all across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. We've got an ear in Saskatchewan, a Canadian province dominated by one company, Cameco, and its uranium mines that riddle the north. Let's now hear a recording of Debbie Mihalitz's presentation to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, specifically about their plans to build a radioactive waste dump in northern Saskatchewan. Debbie and the Committee for Future Generations, which Marius and Candace are a part of, successfully halted that project, a community win that we heard a lot about. We've heard a lot in the past couple of days about how important jobs are. We've heard statistics in terms of environment, in terms of effluence, contaminants. What our committee is here to represent today is to address the elephant in the room, which is the ongoing continued abuse of human rights, which is the only way that this industry is advancing its agenda. When I say abuse of human rights, I'm talking about withholding of information and suppressing the voice. If you're familiar with the term lateral violence, industry has become a vehicle for the lateral violence in our communities. What we've learned on our journey is you can't have environmental abuse without human rights abuses happening, paving the way. I'll quote directly from the Declaration of Indigenous Peoples' Rights and Freedoms, Article 29.2. States shall take effective measures to ensure that no storage or disposal of hazardous materials shall take place in the lands or territories of Indigenous peoples. These last five words are what we are demanding. Without their free, prior, and informed consent. If this is so safe, why is there such a concerted effort to be suppressing the voice of the people in the communities? say to people in Australia who are being approached by Cameco to consider a uranium mine on their lands? 
Well, find out what happened here where Cameco was born. Um, Cameco will talk a good line in terms of promoting its benefits, particularly if there's underdeveloped regions where they can, they'll, they'll say, well, we've hired this many indigenous people, we've created this many scholarships. Well, they're not going to talk about um, the fact that the, the economy is still in the same state that it was before the uranium industry that trappers are losing jobs and trap lines, that people are concerned about fish and toxins in Wollaston Lake, which is a massive lake that the Dene have used. And there have been spills, major spills. And uh, it's a self-regulated industry now, which government doesn't actually monitor very closely. I mean, the, the real story is that they've gotten away with an awful lot here, and they'll only tell one side of the story when they go to Australia. And people should talk to people from the north here if they want to hear what Cameco's like. They'll build you a hockey rink and then not pay the taxes that are part of the public education system in the province. So It might be more of a football field in Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't be a hockey rink. message to people in Australia who... Chemical kills! That's all that I got no, no fancy words. Hmm. That's what it is. Chemical kills. Before they do anything, get a baseline health study. The very first thing, demand a baseline health study. At the same time, don't let them do it. They'll tell you a lot about benefits... They don't give a damn about your lifestyle preferences. They don't give a damn about your culture. It isn't worth it. Our lands are going to be ruined. They're turning our lands into a sacrifice zone. You can find more recordings and background to these stories on the YouTube channels of the Committee for Future Generations, and the Coalition for a Clean Green Saskatchewan. They've posted many incredibly powerful statements delivered to Canada's nuclear authorities. On today's show, we've heard from Jim Harding, Debbie Mahalitz, Candace Paul and Marius Paul, who I thank for sharing their words with us. The music you've heard today is Marius Paul on his own back porch, a song by Shana Paul at an Idle No More protest in La Loche, Saskatchewan. North by Sergei Cheremisinov on the Free Music Archive and we'll go out now with Corruption Dub by Combat Wombat. I am Jem and this is The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on the land of the Kulin Nations in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent on the Community Radio Network. You can get in touch with us by emailing radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com and remember you can get the podcast at all of the W's .3cr.org.au slash radioactive. This two-part series is dedicated to the struggle for a nuclear-free Saskatchewan. Weaves like thieves in tricks by degrees of sinister bees buzzing for a piece of the problem pulling in chance to win evidence in the bin of corruption within the thick and fabric of our society. Who's got the favour with the queen bee or knows the dirt between her toes? In position, power rose. Time for the lies to be exposed. Of the highest.
knowledge. I'm to supply our greed, how it works. Enter the enterprise, alert to get the perks. Initiated, to be contaminated, to be continued, never anticipated. Land investigated, mitigated, and negated. Better endeavor before it's all gone fading. When the weight of it done been sifted, distributed, so we all gotta lift it. Till then, children, feel the boulder. Sun's getting hotter, winter. 